Hello and welcome back to the Plant Doctor Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lacey Mount. I am a certified crop advisor and a doctor of plant medicine. And I am here talking about all things related to plant health. I apologize to anybody who was expecting a new episode several weeks ago. The hiatus was not scheduled. I was very sick for most of the month of November. Unfortunately, it just kept anything from from getting done. I had a very standard cold going into it, and then the fall the second week in November is the last week I have been functional at all. Um yeah, it was <laughs> it was pretty crazy. But I am back and I actually last Thursday I gave a talk at the Hayes County Master Gardeners Association meeting in San Marcos, Texas, and that video has now been posted on a brand new YouTube channel. So you are welcome to search that out. It is same title, The Plant Doctor. And that is the one and only video that I have actually uploaded to that one. So um, there is that for those of you who just can't get enough. I also um, wanted to go over and because I because the podcast gives me the ability to do it, I want to add in all the things I didn't get to say during the talk. Um, Really, it comes down to people started asking some very specific questions there at the end, and I admit it, the the way that I structured the talk, I <laughs> if you watch it, you will see I, I spent far more time on the history than I did on the examples that I gave them. Everybody who was there in person got those examples on an actual physical handout to take home with them and work over and used to their heart's content, anybody who watches the video will get a step-by-step walkthrough on making those fertilizer conversions using the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium numbers on the bag. Um, certainly, if you have any questions, feel free to email me about anything in there, uh, Lacey at plantdiagnosticservices.com. That's L-A-C-E-Y at plantdiagnosticservices.com, just like it's spelled like it sounds. Um, Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about soil sampling because lo and behold, of course, I, I was sick all that month and then we roll into December and I'm thinking, surely nobody else. I mean, I have been at very low volume all this year, so I'm thinking, well, my my phone is not going to ring, surely. So I unloaded all my field equipment, and everything got got cleaned and stored, and my daughter walks into my home office and goes, wow, there's so much space, and it's all so clean, and I say, I know, Um and lo and behold, my, my phone rang on Monday, and I got a lot of very basic questions about soil sampling and how I would fit into their farming operation and all sorts of things. I get these, I get these questions all the time, so I may as well talk about it. Um, I have put together a soil sampling guide based on my years of experience 
previous employment and just general things that I have confirmed in discussions with extension personnel and soil scientists and uh, USDA folks and other folks in the know. Um, that guide is available as a PDF. Right now you'd have to email me for it, but I will be putting it on the Plant Diagnostic Services site at some point. Um, so the big thing when you're taking a soil sample is you do need to start off with having a look at the area that you're going to be sampling. If you have a field, good for you, if you have a field that's more than 40 to 50 acres, uh, any area that is over, I mean, 50 acres would be an absolute maximum. At 40 acres, you're going to start to lose a level of accuracy depending on what type of soil sampling you're doing. I have, this is both for people who are um, sampling for soil health purposes, people who are looking at that microbiota, they are looking at all the different organisms living in the soil, and persons like myself who are really taking the deep dive and want to know what do the soil, subsoils do? How is the site going to drain? What are the major plant health considerations? As well as just basic fertility and putting together nutrient management plans. Anything over about 40 acres, I mean, even 50, I'd start to, even at 50, I would say, is there something else? Um, you know, anything over 50 acres, I'm saying, can it all be irrigated the same way? Is it all being, if it's all being treated the same way, then there's no reason to divide it, theoretically. Um, but if there is anything going on in terms of being managed differently, having a different variety, anything like that, you're better off dividing it. Um so anything, even, um, so 60 acres, I would say two 30-acre pieces. 70 acres, it'd be two 35-acre pieces. And that's, of course, if the world happens in nice natural squares, which, uh, no, it doesn't. So um, there's bound to be some area that it would be simpler to just go ahead and put that separately. But the sampling areas really should follow soil types. Soil types in the throughout the United States, and I did double check this on the site. Um, throughout the United States, does include not just the lower forty-eight, but also Alaska, Hawaii, and all of the U.S. territories. So, if you are hearing this in Guam, they've still got you covered. So, you would want to go ahead if you've never done anything with soil types before. You can go into um, and you're in the United States, you can go into, uh, just look up soil web, all one word, S-O-I-L-W-E-B. There are four different platforms that it works with. It's an, in, it's a standalone app, which you can download. I personally don't like it, and I'm sorry, Toby Ogene, if you're listening to this, uh, I personally don't like it simply because it doesn't have the same functionality as 
using it as a standalone web page or as the Google Earth overlay. I just find it a little bit clunkier, but I have also been standing in a field and just had the just had the web browser open and was able to pull up the website no problem. I punched that it should go to our location and a farmer who'd been swearing up and down that the entire field had been all been treated the same and I couldn't possibly be right that there was something going on with the subsoil. You know, it had been laser leveled, pre-plant, everything was identical, period. I pop open that soil survey and there is just this little peninsula of a different soil type that was coming from the other side of a creek bed. And his jaw just about dropped because it was identical to the spot where we were standing looking at one dead tree with a couple of really crummy trees to either side of it. (laughs) I have absolutely um, had people been on the phone, been working at my desktop, and been able to pull open soil web and had them on the phone they give me the address where we're going to be because they want me to come out and see their farm and they're talking about where they're having an issue and I say something like oh you mean um, there's a difference in how it's growing right behind the barn and just again you know had a very quiet pause and how could you possibly know that and said well I'm looking at a soil map And it is right there. Let me tell you how to get to it. Um, The Google Earth overlay is great. If you are familiar with Google Earth, I actually know somebody who at least as of a few years ago was still doing this would put together the route that the field crew was going to use that day, going to the particular spots, how long it was going to take to travel there, and then would have the the soil map as part of that overlay to make it clear, you know, you're going to be sampling in this location, you're going to be sampling in that location, and it should take you about two hours to get this done. Excuse me, I'm mostly over it. A really important thing to note, and I, I can't believe that this is something that still happens, But there are lots of people out there who take soil samples. And if you've never consulted with a soil scientist or an agronomist before, please take this one to heart. Do not mix soil types. It will not help you. And you will get results that will actually not work for either part of the field that you are sampling. So... If you have one 40-acre field that has three soil types, go with whichever one is the largest area. Unless, unless you have, you know that the part of the field where your crop does better is a different soil type. Because you always want to be managing towards where you're seeing the best yield supposed to be the point of farming. Um, If you are sampling, on the other hand, for 
looking at beneficial microbes. I'm getting a lot of questions about this these days. Um, it's going, the, the protocols will vary by lab, but you do want to generally, you'd be looking at instead of what I normally would say, which is go to a foot or a third of a meter deeper than your crop's root zone. So if you have, if you are doing pre-plant on trees, if I can, I get down five feet. If it's pre-plant on grapes and the soil is fairly sandy, I go down five feet. If it's turf grass, I want to see two feet. If it's something in a shrub, a berry bush, uh, something like that, I would go to three feet. I know that uh, there are lots of people who are told by agronomists, by pe- especially when those certified crop advisors are um, working for fertilizer companies, but that's, that's just my experience. Lots of people have been trained not to go deep. And it really is, it can hamstring those results. I have walked into mature orchards that should have been completely bearing from one end to the other. And it was this weird perspective, you know, looks like it's shrinking into the distance and just going, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. How in the world, you know, you're looking down down a row and it looks like it goes twice as far and it turned out that the hard pan went from being at four and a half feet where the trees were just doing great to three and a half feet by the other end of the field because it was an old creek bed wash and the trees were the mature trees were more than two feet shorter it was just strange but that was actually the first time I ever turned a hand auger into a hard pan and it felt like I was grinding into dry cement and it actually made me grit my teeth. I mean, it almost, it was ridiculous how sudden that change was. And of course, that was the answer. Anytime that you have more than a 6% change in soil texture... And for those who've never looked it up, soil texture, you can Google a, it's called the textural triangle. And you can have, um, you can, you can see on that little triangle, um, they're talking specifically about sand, uh, loam and clay, loam being just objectively, the most awesome soil type. But there's also silt and there's also organic matter and those are not necessarily included and can really throw off textural results. Um, but the fact is that a change in soil texture that is more than 6%, and it can be 6% more or 6% less. So it can get sandier or it can get clayier. I mean, most people recognize, you know, if the if it goes from being 
fairly sandy and fairly loose down in a subsoil, if it goes down to a clay, you've got a real problem because the amount of, of moisture that a clay can hold is obviously a lot more than sand can hold. If you don't believe me, go to the nearest beach. If that, but it, it works in reverse too, that any change more than 6%, you are going to have a problem with drainage. And it's almost creepy because if you have, uh, as you would get with a saturated paste extract, you have uh, the numbers for texture, and then you have numbers for salinity, and then you have numbers for nutrients, you can tell where the layer is. You can just follow it right across because everything stops where that change in percentage is from... Um, um, in the texture category. So, let's see. Um, other things off of the sampling guide. If you are sampling pre-plant and you are growing um, in, in, before growing a crop, um, you want to go ahead and take a soil core. Now, this is Obviously, this is something a little bit bigger than a vegetable, typically. And certainly, it's it, grain is its whole different, <laughs> different world. And there you can have... <laughs> you just... And when it comes to soil sampling pre-plant, just make sure that it's somewhere that is going to get irrigated. If you're talking about either the... Um, corn or small vegetables because I literally um, I was just stunned to find out that people who have worked their whole careers in irrigation and were ready to retire couldn't understand that you have got to sample the soil where the soil is going to be one, watered and two, will actually have growing roots getting into it. I don't care if the soil that is right next to the road or right next to the, you know, the, the, um, the edge of the field, if it's not where that growing root zone is going to be, who cares if it's salty? Who cares if it's got more or less nutrient. I'm not fertilizing your access road. We need to know what is going on in the field. Um, so you really want to go with where the edge of the plant canopy is going to intersect the wetting pattern. Or in the case of if it's a big enough... Um, if it's a big enough canopy, you're looking at the edge of the rain shadow. I've also heard it called that. Um, if you are sampling for plant disease-causing nematodes, don't send in any topsoil that is dry. Don't let it dry out. Don't take the sample and put it 
on the dash of your truck and remember that it is there two days later, the nematodes are dead. (laughs) I can't say it strongly enough. Um, Anytime you are sampling for nematodes, you need to go ahead and make sure that that nematodes don't live in soil. Nematodes live in water. So if you have soil that is dry as powder, you don't have any nematodes because they went deeper. Uh, To go along with that, if you are sampling for troubleshooting, you are looking for the cause of a specific issue. You really want to look for areas of the field that have, uh, as find the place that has the best looking plants, the best part of your crop, and then another part of the same field that has um, the visible symptoms. And you want to sample in both of those areas. And that goes for um, leaves as well. Let's see. So, as I said, every every foot of depth, standardly, I mean, this is this is how I was trained at my previous employment. This is, it's a standard that I have found very useful. I admit the only time, I will tell you the only time that this is not true, I go down every single foot is a different sample. And I want, as I said, I want that soil core to go down a root of a foot past the root zone. So in the case of taking a two-foot sample, that'll be two. It'll be the first foot and the second foot. A three-foot deep sample, one, two, three. Or in the case of how I would label it up, it would be zero to one would be the first foot, and then one to two and two to three. The only time when that's a little different is either when I'm in a backhoe pit and I can actually see where those different layers are, or if I am pulling out a sample and like that hard pan I described later late, earlier, the layer that was in there, it went from being your typical dirt brown to being gray and literally looking like I was pulling out powdered cement. That is a different sample. Uh, Let's see. I have other notes in here as far as um, the depths, which I've already covered. Uh, Let's see. Talked about soil sampling. So... Why take a good soil sample? Obviously, that's going to depend on the lab. Uh, I have been really disheartened to find that not only is saturated paste not standard in a lot of places I kind of thought it would be, places that have uh, tremendous soil variability, um, that there are labs that will charge extra to give you nitrogen as though nitrogen is not the primary driver of plant growth and 
the nutrient you'd better have if you expect things to be growing as they should be. Um, nitrogen is still rules the roost. It's not the most. It's not the most important to the detriment of anything else. But a good nutrient management plan is going to start with nitrogen. Um, I hate to say it, I was listening and watching earlier some um, continuing education, and they were talking about denitrifying bioreactors and saturated buffers and tile drainage and all these things and talking about having tremendous nitrate runoff. Well, the whole point of nitrogen use efficiency is to make sure that you're not over-applying on nitrogen in the first place. I just kind of sat there thinking, wait, why, how is some... And then I was really shocked when it turned out that their case study actually had uh, certified crop advisors and apparently people from NRCS that were actually like putting together real nutrient management plans... I've always been trained to treat that as you want to get as close as possible to just what the crop needs. You shouldn't be applying so much that you have tremendous amounts of nutrient leaving the field. It's That's just wasting money. Um not to mention, yeah, it's going to cause downstream ecological effects, no pun intended, which is a reason why vegetation buffer, the use of quote-unquote saturated buffers or created wetlands at the edge of ag fields is, can be a wonderful thing if that's where the the um, effluent goes that then uh, some of that nitrogen is then used by the other organisms in the environment besides your crop. Um, yeah, that's it's. it was kind of stunning to me that nitrogen use efficiency would be going above and beyond what you need for a good yield. On the note of, I mean, obviously, you know, in on the one hand, you have pollution, you have runoff that is high in nutrients, on the other hand, I will also say, any growers listening to this, you really might want to check what the county average is for your crop or find out from extension from your state agency, the National Ag Statistics Service, wherever you can find those numbers something in your area about what those yields are bringing in on average um, because I literally have sat with people who were I'm sorry this is still bothering me all these years later I have sat with people who were inheriting a farm from their aging parent and they were using a certified crop advisor and uh, I, but I was putting together um, a very small nitrogen management plan for them. And I said, well, what was your yield last season? And 
This person looked up from the records with a big smile on their face and said it was our best year ever and then gave me numbers that were only half of what I knew the county average was. And I just sat back in my chair, sort of stunned. And uh, I explained that 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 number is tremendously low. And then the next time I was sitting at that kitchen table, I heard all sorts of excuses why this person who was supposed to have been putting together good fertilization plans, good nutrient management, um, why he might not have wanted their elderly father to be burdened with more harvest than he could handle, which I found kind of insulting. But (laughs) <laughs> you know, it wasn't it wasn't my farm and it wasn't it wasn't certainly, you know, at, at some point I'm not going about to, to step in on somebody's family like that. I do the job and, and leave, but the it was still amazing to me that I, I understand everything in ag is trust relationships, but at some point, you know, please do do the due diligence and and look up what those averages are and and find out what your crop should be making for your area. I don't want to say don't trust a certified crop advisor and I'm it's certainly uh, you know across the board that's not accurate but it's still amazing to me that there there are people in any profession who can and will abuse your trust or will take the easy way out. Um, So yeah, please find out what your your (laughs) crop should be yielding because the point of operating a farm is in fact to make good yields. Um, I also have a note here and what I wanted to, to talk about today on a lighter note is uh, I was once again treated to yet more continuing education where there was lots of material presented that had very few references. <laughs> As somebody who went to grad school and had it pounded into their head, uh, please do not trust any graph where they don't label the axes. Thank you. This has been your public service announcement brought to you by Plant Diagnostic Services. <laughs> Sorry, I'm whistling a little bit. I've got this appliance in my trying to to fix a little problem in my teeth, so I'm whistling a little bit. Um, I did want to go ahead. Um, part of that talk that I gave to the master gardeners did deal with salinity. I have heard a lot through the grapevine, no pun intended. Um, in central Texas, there's a lot of buzz about, oh no, I have salinity. Salinity is creeping up. I need to be, I need to be concerned about salinity. And that may be true. 
I certainly, I've seen some results that have very hard, very hard water and you got to do something to it. Um, but more than that, I hear people being just more afraid of salinity and what it will do than, um, was warranted necessarily. I have worked on sites in California where, um, the electrical conductivity came back on the soils above six decisiemens per meter. And yes, uh, I'm not joking. It's uh, over 6.0 decisiemens per meter. That was that, that is the threshold by which many, agronomists around the world would tell you that you can't possibly be growing a crop at that salinity, but I, I promise you lots of people are. Um, the water, as long as the water is actually below, it, it's less saline than the soil, or the blended water, that's the other thing, is you, you have to have some way of managing that salinity such that the water that's being applied to the soil will, in fact, push salts out of the soil, will actually get in through clay particles where the salt might be adhering to um, where... Um, positively charged cations are adhering to the clay particles and uh, staying in that root zone and causing an uptake problem for your crop. As long as you are flushing with water that has less total salinity, I mean, not, not total dissolved solids, I'm talking about just total salinity, um, I've seen lots of people make good crops with that. It's not a it's not a automatic death sentence. It's not a um total forfeit. It's nothing. It's not nothing, but it it is something you can manage for. Um the the big references that I would um that I used regularly and that certainly I would recommend would be Ayers and Westcott's um, Food and Ag Organization uh, Bulletin Number 29. That's from back in the 70s. There is Blaine Hansen's uh, Agricultural Salinity and Drainage, which it came out in 1999. And then there's the dear old standard Diagnosis and Improvement of Saline and Alkali Soils, which was put out by the USDA's Salinity Lab back in 1954. All of those references are actually available as PDFs online for free. Um, again, that's FAO 29, Ag Salinity and Drainage, and then Diagnosis and Improvement of Saline and Alkali Soils. Um, the information that's in there is evergreen, no pun intended. If you are worried about creeping salinity, that is where you should be going to get some good information about leaching requirements, how to do it, uh, why the science works. 
Um, that is true of sodium. It is true of chloride. It can be true of potassium in the right circumstances. Um, the amazing thing is in some naturally high potassium soils, you can absolutely have uh, potassium acting as the dominant salt in that situation. I know they've, uh, I know I'm pausing a lot. There was a study that was done, I believe at the ag, the ARS salinity lab that did miming of that type of soil in pots and they got burn symptoms, same as you would see in any other saline situation. Uh, the same goes for boron, actually. I did years ago, I was involved in doing a lot of recommendations for boron for leaching fractions. And I always heard the rule of thumb that for every sodium, it had to be an uh, acre foot of water. And for boron, it would have to be three acre feet of water. I always said, well, where did that come from? And it was just a standard rule of thumb in the San Joaquin Valley that I heard quoted to me over and over and over again. And I traced it back, and that volume of water is what came out of a single University of California Cooperative Extension field trial from way back. Um, it was at least the 70s if not earlier, but I, I recognize the extension specialist name. I don't honestly, I didn't meet this person. He was gone bef long before I arrived on the scene, but I can't believe for one moment that one farm advisor really believed that that one field trial that was unreplicated should be taken as gospel for making leaching requirement uh, recommendations ad infinitum. I would really love to see more work done around this. In other words, I have seen leaching work on less volume of water than that for boron. I have seen um, people who were applying that they had heavily impacted wells and they weren't weren't doing a great job of mixing and they really didn't <laughs> unfortunately didn't didn't really understand pH and really managed to shoot themselves in the foot and just finish off an orchard that was already doing quite poorly but the fact is, you know, every every field is going to be different because every soil is going to be different. And if you are being given well results and being told to cap a well only based on boron, excluding all other factors, I would say get a second opinion on that. Um, that is just my experience. I have not been to your farm specifically, and I am not your certified crop advisor, but that really is uh, a question of a little more information couldn't possibly hurt. If you have any way at all to blend it, 
with another water source, with another irrigation source from anywhere, then a well is a really expensive proposition. I heard a farm advisor recently say, oh, I just told him to cap the well because it was high boron and didn't have a number and didn't have a... um, really any consideration for the fact that drilling a well is expensive, especially if it's been drought. <laughs> there's a shortage of wells if there's... You know, the the demand for dw- drilling services goes up in a drought. So it was really stunning to me that, that anybody would say cap a well just because of the boron levels. I mean, it's not great <laughs> but it's not uh you know i would want i would want to see the numbers before i would say uh, you're never going to be able to use that that well i've i've never told somebody not to use a well i have definitely said you should think about blending this with another water source but i've never said to to a grower that that they need to to spend the time and expense of having another well drilled on the basis of one nutrient, any nutrient. I've also told people um, facetiously that, uh, you know, if, for nitrate impacted wells, I mean, I, I can remember a well that had such high nitrate levels that I suggested that they open up their own hot dog factory. But that was... Uh, obviously made in and that was a joke um the the fact is you know high salinity wells there are workarounds for them um i did also i was <laughs> very very early on and this one was just to give you another example very early on in my career as a crop con- a certified crop advisor, I was in a cotton field and the grower was had accidentally sprinkled this brand new emerging cro- cotton crop with a well that was hot. And I mean, it was salty. And I was on the scene a day or two later, and the well was so salty that it looked like it had been speckled with herbicide. <laughs> um, sorry, apparently I'm, I'm recording in time for the closing bell and didn't realize that I had not muted my computer. Um, as I said, uh, he had overhead sprinkled the cotton crop with irrigation water from a well that was so salty that it looked like herbicide damage. I mean, it literally was pink speckles. And he called me out there because he wanted to know, should he plow it under and replant or should he keep it going? And I, I bit my tongue and didn't say a word until I w- after I was on site. And I was looking around... And I realized that it was still early enough that the cotton was at the cotyledon stage. It hadn't 
it hadn't formed any, there were virtually no true leaves that had been hit by that salty water. And the new leaves that were coming out actually looked fine. And when I spoke with him, I said, I, I believe that this crop is going to be fine, that it's going to outgrow this. And he was so happy when he harvested that crop because it came out just fine. I was right. It grew out of it. <laughs> I wasn't completely certain that that was going to be a thing, but he got in there and he watered with an alternate source and he watered with blended water for the rest of that season. And the crop came out of it just fine. He got basically twice the county average once again. I mean, he told me later on um, <laughs> when he and I were chatting, I accused him of being very easy to work with and apparently nobody had ever accused him of that before. And I said, well, you want to know, you actually get pre-plant soils. You get, you know, you call up the lab and you're upset if they haven't sent you those tissue results yet. You want to know every single well before every single season. Um, it's just a, um, what gets measured gets managed, as Peter Drucker said, and you just have to know. I mean, it's it would be great if we lived in a world where you just stuck the seed in the ground and it grew and life was great, but that is uh, not here. Um, if you really want have a, a crop to manage, then please, please get some numbers on it and take a soil sample. And um, there are all kinds of soil sampling um, labs out there. I, it depends on what you want to look at. As far as, as soil health, I'm still learning just like everyone else how and where and when and why to determine because I was trained towards plant health. I want to know fertility. I want to know irrigation management and what co what's causing those plant symptoms. So if that does sound like something that you need, I'm available in person in the Central Texas Hill Country, uh, nationwide remotely. That's Lacey at uh, plantdiagnosticservices.com, L-A-C-E-Y. Um, and once again, nothing that I have said has been to constitute a client relationship. Everything I've said is for your education and entertainment only. And have a wonderful rest of your day.